Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Morris News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include the rescission of the loan level price adjustments based on DTI, part two of my interview with Funding Shield's Adam Chethauri on protecting against wire and title fraud, and reaction to yesterday's inflation figures. Today's podcast is brought to you by Simple Nexus an Encino company and award-winning developer of mortgage technology for today's modern lenders. Nexus Closing features single sign-on borrower convenience, robust LOS system integration, dedicated title collaboration tools, and flexible support for varying closing scenarios. Also, lenders can close with improved speed, security, liquidity, and savings. Learn more at simplenexus.com. I'll argue that success in lending isn't based on trying to predict where interest rates are going, since many predictions are a coin toss, but instead on lots of smarts, hard work, and building a business. Sometimes the subject comes up, my lender owns agency tickets, are they worth anything? Turns out yes, there is a dollar value. Certainly the agencies, namely Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, were in the news yesterday. The loan level price adjustments based on DTI have been rescinded. Now, all those borrowers can rush out and buy, uh, well, check back in several years while the inventory of houses for sale picks up. Even if rates were 0%, if there are no houses to buy, good luck. And after the good news had spread, those who actually read the announcement noticed the last statement. Quote, additional details for the upcoming request for input on the single-family guarantee fee pricing framework will be released shortly. End quote. Investors reacted quickly. For example, Kind Lending will no longer be charging for a DTI above 40% on any Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loans. If you have an affected loan that is in process now, Kind will automatically remove this price adjustment and will send out a new lock confirmation. I know it was the same for many other lenders out there. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome onto the show Funding Shield's Adam Chadhari to talk about protecting against wire and title fraud. He's the president of Funding Shield, a risk management financial technology firm focused on wire title fraud prevention, used on over $2.5 trillion in transactions to date. He's been an executive, investment banker, trader, and leadership team member at firms such as Goldman Sachs, Greenwich Capital, Royal Bank of Scotland, and others that have provided solutions to top global financial institutions, including private equity firms, hedge funds, asset managers, and banks globally. He's originated, structured, and delivered in excess of $50 billion in financing solutions, hedging solutions, and new products to the market. He currently focuses on executing the strategy, operations, and client solutioning to drive Funding Shield's award-winning technology where they protect mortgage lenders, investors, warehouse banks, and real estate participants from wire fraud, title fraud, and compliance risks. We had shared some notes before recording this. You mentioned live source data and a live ecosystem, and, and I want you to expand on those two concepts and talk about the, how they play into what you're doing over at Funding Shield. Absolutely. So the, the first is source data, right? Again, no self-attested information, collecting a collection of that data and information as close to and at the time of closing. So no, never regurgitating, reusing, uh, leveraging yesterday's information for today's uh, result and uh, providing that for today's analysis. And that stale data is what has provided and allowed for so many bad actors to perpetuate frauds in this market 
is that they're leveraging identities and personas and using social engineering campaigns based upon stale data or stale information in the past that if it's not checked today would otherwise provide the illusion of a party being able to conduct business and seem legitimate, et cetera. So one, live data and source data are two important things. Source data means you have to figure out what data sources you can trust, and you'd have to figure out how you can actually obtain that information and incorporate it into your overall model, right? It's not just a one metric model or one matrix model. It's a multitude of, of data points that we have to bring in into that model and then make a decision as of today. Now, the ecosystem effect of that is, is that after I do that decision, on each transaction using that multitude of matrix of data on a live basis, the ecosystem is, I now can see the trending of those parties over time. I can now see across a multitude of clients, what's going on, what characteristics are taking place, what errors are taking place, what issues are continually popping up, what parties are having issues with delays in recording versus what parties are having issues with being able to get documentation accurately reflecting the transaction details and the parties in the transaction. What parties have issues with insurance not being in their name, bank accounts not being in their name? That ecosystem effect gives us the ability to have preemptive data as well as being able to get ahead of potential risks, right? Our whole goal here is not to sell insurance with a risk tolerance for loss. Our goal is to get ahead of the problem and prevent the fraud from happening. Being part of your workflow, before part of your risk making and, and kind of risk determination before you approve something to go into a closing, before you wire money out. And that plays into our product set too, which we'll get to in a, in a you know in a minute, right? Kind of what does that mean in the, con in the construct of a, a SaaS or hybrid SaaS company? How do you take that very manual, bespoke live ecosystem and put it into a product? And that was kind of the goal of what Ike had envisioned our CEO when we launched these products is we want to provide that level of a data source and quality into an app productized workflow that has different SLAs depending on what our clients want to achieve and what they're using our products for. Well, you hit on one other thing I want to touch on briefly here, and that's first-party risk or fraud versus third-party risk or fraud. And it sounds like you're you're kind of dealing with a lot of different actors and players here, and and you need to be vigilant for a lot of different things. Can you expand on those those the differences between those two and how you deal? With yeah, that? I think, and I think there's a there's a, a a constant thought, right? When the mortgage industry, or real estate industry, or the FBI sends its IC3 Internet Crime Center report out. We tend to think about fraud only from the perspective of this foreign state bad actor, um, you know, that's sponsored a terrorist group that's, you know, using business email compromise and social engineering to, you know, do launch a phishing or spear phishing campaign or a smishing campaign to get access to data to corrupt your devices and get into your workflows or into your email inbox uh, or to take over an email server. Yes, that is a huge part of it. And that's the third party fraud. That's a lot of what we hear about, right? And that's the the, the scary stuff, right? It, it truly is scary um, when you think about the fact that you can lose control of your email servers. And unfortunately, we've seen this before. And in many cases, uh, we've been the party to alert our lender clients to say, hey, it doesn't seem like this communication you're having with your closing agent doesn't really track, doesn't make sense. Something's off here. And lo and behold, there's no actual transaction in a title insurer system that reflects what they've been working on with this closing agent. So our lender client's been working for a couple of days, maybe a week, sending docs over. Well, there's there's just no transactions reflected in the title insurer system that that, that you know correlate back to that. And so I think that third-party fraud is that scary third-party intrusion, cyber-based interference 
uh, or parties perpetuating or purporting to be the closing agent, settlement agent, trying to get basically money typically is what they're trying to do. They're trying to divert the funds. They're trying to get the funds out of the transaction. They might be a nuisance party. Um, we did see that with um, you know a couple of the ransomware attacks that happened in 20, uh, 2020 um, and then kind of early 2021 um, where there was ransomware attacks. But that's typically not what's happening here. Given the amount of money and dollars flowing, they're trying to divert funds. And that's the third party fraud. The first party fraud is when settlement agents or title companies have either employees or controllers or control individuals who are perpetuating a fraud or who have gone through so much financial distress or a change of financial circumstance that they start cutting rules, bending rules, and maybe start borrowing against escrow accounts, have solvency issues. And unfortunately, this is the sort of market cycle where you go through an extreme expansion to an extreme contraction where a lot of budgets and forecasts and working capital that was needed to keep the business running suddenly have depleted. So if the parties aren't equipped to reinvest money into the business or have investors that can invest money back into that business and that settlement business, it's very difficult for them to get back on their footing. Now, again, my point of bringing up the first party fraud is it's not designed, this is not funding shield saying closing agents are all bad, they're all out to get you, they're not able to manage their accounts. The vast majority super majority of these parties do a very good job of managing risk. But if you do not have the ability to assess whether or not a closing agent is capable of managing its own internal risk and doing so on a transaction level, you will unfortunately become a victim of the fraud if they're perpetuating one. And it's very hard to catch. And we're not here to determine intent. If somebody acted in a grossly negligent manner and it unfortunately resulted in a loss versus if a closing agent actually was intent on Barring against their clients' funds in escrow to use it for whatever purpose, even if it has a good purpose to keep the lights on in their mind, that's still not a permitted use, right? We really don't care about that. So our workflows are designed to say, look, we want to provide coverage, whether or not it's a cyber-based hack and the accounts get taken over and monies get depleted, or if it's a first-party fraud or first-party risk issue where an employee steals money at the closing agent or escrow company from that escrow account. There's lack of controls in terms of segregation of duties. Or online banking credentials, et cetera. Those are the other issues that we also want to provide protection for, not just one or the other. I want to go back to something you said in a previous answer, and, and that's how you take a live ecosystem and put it into your product. Can you expand on yeah. that a little bit? Yeah. So the basic uh, market ask uh, when we went out to the market, not being um, you know, pure mortgage guys. Ike's background is a tech entrepreneur in financial services and has also been an owner operator investor for, for the last, you know, kind of three decades almost now. And myself coming from kind of the capital markets, banking and finance space, investment banking and trading space, having dealt with mortgage, but not being mortgage guys. The first thing we did when we came to this market was a very different approach. We put our money to the uh, money to the table. We went out, fielded um, some very trusted um, big names in the market that are asset managers, banks, investment banks, and said, hey, there's a risk out there that we see. How do you guys manage the risk of closing agents? And what we found was very quickly that the people that were doing something about this, i.e., uh, everyone identified the risk existed. A lot of folks did not know how to manage it effectively. And the few that at that time, this is going back about seven years ago, six years ago, the few that did actually have processes in place constantly uh, were concerned about the fact that they had to keep on re-updating their diligence. So they're doing this maybe once a year, re-verifying and checking the box or any party they close with every once a year, once every two years. And that cadence was not good enough. 
but it was better than nothing. But what they ideally would have liked is at the time of close, how do I capture the risk today with working with this closing agent and make sure that I actually have recourse and coverage from title insurers? And that was a general ask that we consistently heard from the market. And that's how we built our products to achieve that goal. So to answer your question, Robbie, you said, how do you get that ecosystem to meet the product? Well, that data model that's live, this live ecosystem that's running of verified data of information in the last 10 days, 15 days, 30 days is then coupled with live information as of today and incorporated in, for instance, our wire account verification service called WAVES, W-A-V-S. When a lender wants to make a decision to send money into closing to an escrow company, they can know that WAVES is not only confirming and verifying that that bank account is definitively owned by that entity based upon source data, meaning we've confirmed the depository institution that this bank account belongs to that party. But we also have information from a multitude of sources across all the clients in our ecosystem, where 40 to 50 billion in transactions a month is being verified through these data systems. So when was the last time it was used? Was it used for this state or another state? How many times has it been used in the last month, three months, 12 months? What type of fundings, uh, what type of fundings was it used for? Right? Has this party opened other accounts in the last, you know, six, 12 months? Does it only use it for certain types of transactions? That layer of information provides a much more rich understanding of the payee in terms of the party we're trying to pay that then becomes a direct benefit of our client's ability to have more confidence in our ability to say, yes, this is a good account versus no. And that also translates in other products like Guardian, which is our kind of our, our belt and suspenders product. We actually warranty up to $5 million per transaction and cover any loss, any loss to our client on the basis that we're also confirming and verifying at the time of close additional attributes that are part of that live ecosystem, like their licensing, their good standing, their agency affiliations, their ability to issue title, how much insurance do they carry? What sort of bonds do they hold? When was the last time the bond was used? Have they ever had a claim filed against them? What sort of claims payout ratio do they have? What's their ability to issue and provide coverage from a title insurer's perspective? Are there above limits from title insurer perspective? So all those data attributes, there's multitudes more that we go through are incorporated into that verification at the time of closing. And the way we also provide that is we have those data feeds as well as that kind of knowledge base going into our, our risk management systems internally that kind of become a counterparty verification. And then two, once the counterparty is has been deemed sufficient as of today to provide services, the additional risk layer on top of that, and then coupled with transaction verification, making sure transaction details line up. And that transaction verification results in ROI, because if you don't get certain things cleaned up before you close, right, with the title file order, you're going to have to clean it up and post-close. And that is a huge cost to lenders. And that's a big driver of additional ROI uh, with the Guardian product, as an example. I don't want to let you get too far ahead of me, because my next question was about cost and, and ROI. And so <laughs> can you explain when companies are considering working yeah. with a wire or title fraud uh, vendor? What is the cost benefit or ROI? What, what's the cost? What are the savings? Yeah. And so I think the, the the key thing comes down to kind of what we've been talking about. If you're if you're looking at leveraging a solution that is using static data, then you're gonna you're gonna basically have a cost spend, not a cost save, right? So uh Ike RC always says tech spend versus a tech save. So the way we help rationalize cost savings for our clients is through the fact that. By using our solution, because it's live data, they can now justifiably rely upon it as part of the policy procedure and remove other FT allocations to some of these functions, such as verifying and approving bank accounts, 
such as approving uh, a settlement agent for you know an approved you know vendor management database to reviewing transactional details as part of the closing review process right our clients hand that to us because we do a couple of things differently one our data is live because our data is live we can make reps the reps we have are provided by fact by warranties so not only are we saying hey we can do what we say we're doing but we are also saying that we're willing to stand behind what we're doing so the key drivers for ROI are everything from the amount of time it takes to prove verify and confirm accounts are good reconfirm they're good throughout time as you go through time to also checking things that a lender wouldn't be able to check which is has the account gone bad has there been a fraud in the market has there been a reason not to work with this closing agent which that ecosystem provides the benefit of because we're in the workflow and the transactional workflows the other big part is is that the amount of time effort it would take to maintain a model even with an annual cadence of verification once a year or twice a year just to check if an agent's licensed and what insurances they have that cost alone in many cases is a lot higher than the cost of using our solution where you're not really providing any risk management you're ticking a box and you're still having to do all the checks all the transaction reviews all the wire checks all the wire rear verifications and so from that perspective the incumbent model that a lot of folks have been using in the past becomes a very costly model that doesn't provide a lot of risk management benefit as well as a lot of data or automation improvement or, or loan quality improvement too from a data perspective to actually additional recourse uh, as well so the typical ROI to answer your question specifically was about 150 to 200 percent per client last year um, based on what they spent so that means if they spent a dollar they're saving about a dollar 50 after paying uh, the full dollar off so it's a huge cost savings uh, it's, a, it's a really important part of the workflow and it, and it is transactional so a lot of clients are saying hey I want to move to a transactional model I don't know what my productions will look like next month year so I want to pay per loan so I really can drive variable costs so we do have the ability as a hybrid SaaS model you're not just paying a license fee and paying through that or below it you're paying per transaction and a lot of folks do have the ability to pass these fees on uh, to borrowers or to other parties or downstream into kind of risk review costs if they choose to do so that is a massive cost savings. Before I let you go, because we're slightly running out of time here, I want to talk about your first quarter 2023 fraud analytics. I know you release quarterly reports, and we could probably spend a whole podcast on it. And I would actually love to have Ike back on the show to to talk about some of the, the quarterly findings. But for you, what jumped out in the first quarter of 2023 when it comes to fraud analytics? Yeah, I think um, the headline number, the, the total number of transactions that had an issue which was over 50 percent so 51.6 percent had issues that would lead to kind of wire title fraud risks whether it's like again negligence just sloppy workmanship data data from multiple systems at the time of close you got to remember we're touching we're coming up to the point of closing there's about you know a typical transaction half of them have at least one issue and they have more than one issue that's things like vesting being off the party not being licensed the bank account you're using not being for the actual party that's represent the transaction or that's licensed and in good standing to provide, provide and receive provide services and receive funds and then the other big one was about six percent almost just under six percent of transactions weren't even in the system of the title insurer at all at the time of close which should never be happening and that that's the other one that really scares me is like just looking at you know the the fact that transactions are voided or there's no corresponding title file order number that's actually recorded in the system that nets out to the vested parties of borrower that you'd expect to see that's just unacceptable in many ways um and it, it's really a sign of the value our clients are getting to make sure that the data is right and that's actually in there 
Um, and so that's the sort of collaboration we're putting together. Um, beyond that, I would say that this data is also leading into has led us into the last year to focus on additional products. One is called our consumer wire account verification service. So C-Waves is a tool to help home buyers protect their down payment. It can be sold through the lender. It can be sold through the real estate side of the transaction, which is some partnerships you're going to be seeing us uh, announced already and more coming out with some very big players in the market to help make sure consumers are protected. And then the last one is called Payment Shield. And that's designed to help Parties send money to suppliers. So banks want to send money to their vendors all the way through a lender needs to send wire to, you know, contractors, third parties to settlement agency to wire money to sellers. And they don't know those parties. And we're using, again, source data, user permission connected to 6,000 to 7,000 banking institutions in the country. So they get access directly to the source depository institution to verify that information. We're not looking to change how they fund. We're looking to help them accentuate their model, accentuate their risk review so they can enhance their existing workflows and not change their workflow. So that's really what we're big about here, not requiring change of software, adoption of multiple you know, applications by all parties in a transaction. No, we want to say, work as you are. Let us help you verify where you're, where you're sending money, who you're working with, so you can you know, do things more efficiently. That plug and play is very attractive. And I know clients and... Um... Clients really enjoy that and potential clients should should look into that as a reason to work with you. Adam, really enjoy this. Ton of information there. I think the listeners will really enjoy this as well. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Robbie. Have a good one. In addition to FHFA announcing that it had listened to industry stakeholders and will be rescinding the DTI LLPA, some saw it as a high FICO borrowers subsidizing lower FICO borrowers with the upfront fees that were announced in January and delayed in March until August. The latest inflation reading in the form of consumer prices also garnered headlines yesterday. The CPI index came in about as expected, rising 0.4% in April, the slowest increase since April of 2021. From a year earlier, the CPI rose 4.9% after rising at an annual rate of 5% in March, while core CPI slowed to 5.5% year-over-year from 5.6% in March. Growth for shelter was at its slowest pace in 16 months, inviting speculation that the Fed is likely done raising interest rates and causing the entire complex to rally. Today's U.S. calendar kicked off with weekly jobless claims in at 264,000, higher than expected, in producer prices. PPI increased at the slowest pace since 2021, up 2.3% year-over-year versus expectations of increasing 0.3% month-over-month and 2.2% year-over-year compared with down 0.1% month-over-month and up 3.4% year-over-year previously. Later today brings a Treasury announcement on the auction sizes of next week's 20-year bonds and reopen 10-year tips, an auction of $21 billion of 30-year bonds, Freddie Mac's primary mortgage market survey, and remarks from Fed Governor Waller. The Bank of England was also out with its latest monetary policy decision, a 25 base points hike to 4.50%. We begin the day with agency MBS prices, better about an eighth, and the 10-year yielding 3.37 after closing yesterday at 3.44%. The two years yield is down to 3.83%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Here's news from the year 2059, part 405. The average weight of Americans drops to 250 pounds. Massachusetts executes the last remaining conservative. And the Supreme Court rules any punishment of criminals violates their civil rights. Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Simple Nexus. 
the homeownership platform that unites the people, systems, and stages of the mortgage process into one seamless end-to-end solution. To learn more about Simple Nexus and Encino Company, visit simplenexus.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.